And uh, as we look at that video, I just want that video to kick off this series. I believe that God has been laying on my heart the last few months to reevaluate what our church is, where our church is, and what we are doing collectively as a church. You know, we started our church six months ago today. Uh, some of you were here on that first day. Some of you were not. There are some who were here uh, who helped for a short amount of time and then went back to where they were going to church. Uh, but as a church, we, today is our six-month birthday. And as we began to forecast this year and get into what our first entire year of church was going to look like, we began to ask ourselves the questions that you just saw in the video. What is the church? What does the Bible say the church is? What is the church supposed to do? And then as Journey Church International, are we doing those things? And we came away with the answer in early February as our staff team and some of our leadership began to look at our church. We came away with the, the answer that, that I believed our church was beginning to get distracted with church rather than with the mission. And let me explain to you what, uh, what I mean by that. Uh, how many of you know that March is, uh, is Sleep Awareness Month in the United States of America? Does anyone know that random useless fact. I actually read that this week in USA Today, the whole article that, that March, every year in America, March is Sleep Awareness Month. Because in a survey, recent survey, they found that 50% of the people in America, 50% of the adults in America don't get enough sleep. And because of that, uh, a lack of sleep leads directly to three things in life. They're, that's what they're saying. And if you look at America, certainly we, we have these tendencies and maybe it's because none of us get enough sleep. And with, with that, a couple of you immediately started yawning. So maybe I'm talking to you who, who, are, uh, who are tired this morning. Uh, but they said a lack of sleep. If you don't get enough sleep, if you're not aware of getting enough sleep, uh, it leads to having a life that's always stressed. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're stressed out and you seem like you're always stressed out. Uh, it leads to discouragement because your body is not a healthy, your body's not rested, and it leads to distraction. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, you, you're telling me that just being too busy, just not getting enough rest can distract you uh, in life? And according to the, the survey that I read in the, in the USA Today, that, that's true. And what I realized at the beginning of February, uh, and I'll, I'll go so far as to say this, in February we had a series that was supposed to begin today about the cross that we said we're going to move that and we're going to teach that on Good Friday instead of a whole series. We had an entire series lined up from Easter all the way to Mother's Day that we looked at the series and we said, you know, these series are not going to take our church where God wants our church to go. And we kind of flipped the entire ministry calendar around because we believed that we were getting distracted with doing church rather than being the church. Our mission statement as a church, for those of you who are brand new, maybe for those of you who have been around a while, and I hope at some point in time you hear this enough that you can, in some rough fashion, remember that you know our church exists to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. That's, that's why we started this church six months ago. As a church, we want to see people go from where they are spiritually to passionate spiritually to making a difference spiritually in the world. And as we looked at our ministry calendar in 2012, we said we are not encouraging or challenging our people to do that. Instead, we're just we're going to try to feed all of our people spiritually and we're going to create big fat Christians. How many of you remember seeing Little Shop of Horrors maybe at some time in your past? You remember Little Shop of Horrors? Remember that big plant? Remember what the big plant used to always say to Seymour? The, the three words that he used to say to Seymour, that big, ugly, supersized Venus flytrap. What did he say to Seymour all the time? Feed me, Seymour. Feed me, Seymour. I felt like we were a church that existed to just feed the people who were sitting in the chairs spiritually rather than motivate the people who were sitting in the chairs spiritually to go and live for God. And we said, let's take a time out 
and just reevaluate where we are and what we're doing. You know, if you look at our mission statement, go ahead and put that back up, guys, if you would. If you look at our mission statement, we exist to see people who are far from God become passionate Christians who make a difference in the world. You'll notice that there's a word missing from that mission statement intentionally, and it's the word church. We purposely didn't put the word church in our mission statement because we don't believe just coming to church will change your life or change the world. We intentionally left the name Journey Church International out of our mission statement because I don't think it's a part of anyone's mission in life to be a part of Journey Church International. This might be where we gather together, where we learn spiritually, where we grow spiritually, where we're challenged spiritually. But God's goal for us as Christians is to do what's on the screen behind me to grow closer to him, to get passionate spiritually, and then to go make a difference in the world. God's will for you is not just to come to this church on Sunday morning. God's will for you when you die, and he says, what did you do for me? The answer, I went to Journey Church International, isn't enough for him. He really doesn't care about Journey Church International in terms of your greater spiritual life. His goal for you is that you begin to grow spiritually, and then you go and live spiritually for him. But our church... Uh, our church, it, it, certainly it's, a, it's about you, it's about me, it's about the kids, it's about our family, but our church is about mission. Our church is about passion. And you know what, what, what's really interesting is that our church started, I don't know, about a year and a half ago, technically in the minds and hearts of some people. And since that time, all the people who have been a part of our church have seen the greater vision, the greater mission, which is why we're all here today. The, the very first family that ever came on board in this church came on board in this church in August of 2010. Before we had even incorporated as a church, before Danielle and I had even sold our house, before Danielle and I had even sold our job. And they came on board for this reason. They said, we feel like we're supposed to make a difference in the world at this church. And then from those two families, we kind of gathered together and we started in January of last year with five families. And we had what was a core team. Uh, And I'll be honest, probably the best year of my life spiritually was pastoring that core team of five families. It was more enjoyable than pastoring a big church, pastoring lots of people. We all knew each other. We hung out together. We were like a a family. We were like a 10-family church, and it was awesome. But those 10 families weren't committed to just being a 10-family church. Those 10 families were committed to making a difference in the world. So those 10 families became, in August... About 50 families. We had about 100 people. And those 100 people said in August, you know, we could remain 100 people or we could launch this church community-wide and we could really try to make a difference in this entire community. And we went from having just a few families to a core team to a launch team. And then on September 18th, we became a church and the word team kind of dropped. And all of a sudden, we were a church, doing church, having church, planning church. And we weren't a team that was committed to anything. And I feel like God has called me as your pastor. I feel like God has called me as the leader of our church to say, Christian, I I never intended for you to cease being a team of people, whether it was four people or 10 people or 50 people or 100 people or several hundred people. I never uh, I never intended for you all to just stop and be a church. I intended for you to be a group of people that together grew closer to me and tried to impact the world for me. And it's interesting because in Acts chapter 1, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And ushers, I'm going to ask you, if you didn't bring your Bibles today, our ushers are going to go down the aisles and they're going to pass out Bibles. If you don't have one, we'd be more than happy to give you one. If you forgot yours, if you need one, if you forgot yours and just want one today, raise your hand. Our ushers will give one to you. You can throw it on the table when you leave. Uh, If you don't have one, they'll give you one and you can have it to keep. Uh, But in Acts chapter 1, we see the disciples were at the exact same spot 
where our church, I believe, and our leadership team found ourselves in January. They found themselves asking the question, and if you look at the top of your kind of your sermon notes that we passed out um, here, the disciples were asking this question, are we done now? Are we done starting the church? Are we done moving forward spiritually? Like, can we stop doing all this spiritual stuff now? Can we just have church? And Jesus said, no, the intention is never for us to stop and just have church. The intention is for us to impact the world with what we're doing. We believe at our church that Christianity is way more than the 75 minutes that we'll spend every Sunday together. We believe as a church that Christianity is supposed to be seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and that we're actually supposed to impact the world we live in with what Jesus has done in our lives. And in Acts chapter 1, we see a similar conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And here's how this book starts. Uh, The author of this book is Luke. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Luke wrote the book Luke about the life of Jesus. He wrote the book Acts about the church of Jesus. And here's what he says. In my former book, so for those of you who are just learning the Bible, you can circle those two words, former book, and just write in the top of your Bible, Luke. That's what he's talking about. In the book of Luke, Theophilus, this is his friend who he's writing these letters to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, his crucifixion, burial, resurrection, he showed himself to those men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was actually alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about for John baptized with water. But in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him. I want you, if you have your Bible open and your pen out, I want you to underline this question. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time? Going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, before we go on, I I want you to know, here's the question they were asking. Three years earlier, these 12 men had signed on. It was 11 by now because Judas was gone. Three years earlier, these, these 11 men had signed on to help Jesus change the world. And these 11 men, kind of like our original core team and then our launch team and then our church as it sits today, these men had said, you know, we're we're going to commit our lives to go out into the world and make a difference. But by the end of the three years before Jesus died and after, we hear them start asking this question. Like, are, are we done now? Like, we've been doing this for three years. And, you know, feeding people and the miracles, those were cool. And, you know, that time you walked on water, that, you know, like, we'll never forget that. That was cool. But they started asking Jesus, like, is it time now to settle down? Is it time now to stop? Is it time now just to settle down and rest and just kind of hang out together? Can, can we quit trying to take the world by storm with the gospel and can we just be done? And Jesus just said, he's been crucified, he's been buried, he's resurrected. And he says, hey, I need you to go to Jerusalem because something's going to happen in Jerusalem that's going to change your life forever. And their question was, like, are we finally going to be finished? Is that what's going to happen? Are we finally going to be finished? Are we done now? And Jesus said to them, it's not time for you. It's not for you to know the times or the dates that the father is set by his own authority. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then you're going to be my witnesses. If you have your Bible, I want you to circle those two words, my witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. His disciples, after spending three years with him, 
His disciples, after seeing their leader crucified and killed and buried and raised again, his disciples, after committing what they thought was an extended period of time to Jesus' ministry, wanted to know, are we finished now? And Jesus said, you haven't even started. You haven't even started. Because my plan for you is going to be, I'm going to leave, but the Holy Spirit's going to come, and you you haven't even actually done anything yet. Then you're going to go into the world that doesn't know me, and you're going to change the world. You know, the, the book of Acts is an interesting book. Have you ever thought about why the book of Acts is the book of Acts? It's not anyone's name. It's not a place. If you go through the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those were people. If you read through the epistles, you know, Romans, Rome was a place. Ephesians, that was Ephesus. Philippians was Philippi. Colossians was Colossae. Galatians was Galatians. They were all places or people except for Acts. You say, well, what, like, why is that title the book of Acts? Well, the official title of the book is the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles. This whole book is about what the disciples did for Jesus. That's what the title of the book is. What the disciples did for Jesus. Now, I want to scale back and I want to ask this question. If you had a book of the Bible named after you that just told the story of your life, that would be cool. You know, the book of Bob. You know, my name is Bob and here's the book about my life spiritually. If there were a a second book about all that you did for Jesus, how long would that book be? Would it be like the book of Acts, 28 chapters? Would it be one chapter? Would it be a paragraph? Would it be a sentence? If somebody began to write the story of your life and what you did for Jesus, how long would they have to write? How many people would they have to talk to? How many different events would they have to bring up? You see, we live in a church that's like that that big plant on... But we live in a church world that's like that big, big, big Venus flytrap. Feed me, feed me, feed me. And we ask the question, what are you doing for Jesus? And you say, you know what? I don't want to do anything for Jesus. I just, I, I want Jesus to do things for me. And I started thinking about the book of our church. And I thought, you know, if, if somebody were to write the acts of Journey Church International, what would they write about our ministry? And are we done yet with our ministry? Can we just settle in now to a church of a few hundred people that are going to grow spiritually and get to know each other spiritually and go to a small group and maybe, you know, go on a mission trip every now and then? Has God called us to stop now? Are we done yet? Or has God called us to regather ourselves and to go after the vision one more time? You know, I look at the needs in our community and I look at the needs in our world and I think our church isn't done yet. You know, I was just at a conference with my wife, Danielle, and Pastor Ryan and his wife, Heather. And the big question everyone wants to know at a conference, oh, you're a church plant. How old your church? Six months. Everyone wants to know how many people are coming to your church. And then they'll ask this question, how many people do you want to come to your church? What's your goal? And I always tell them, I don't have a goal. I've never from day one set a goal on how many people I want to come to our church. But here's the goals we talk about in our team meetings of what we believe our church can, can help do in this community. You know, our church right now is feeding 30 kids in the Lee Summit School District who the state of Missouri categorizes as chronically hungry. That means they don't eat from Friday at school lunch till Monday at school lunch. They don't have any food at home. They don't eat Friday night, any meal Saturday, any meal Sunday, or Monday morning. There are 556 kids, elementary school kids in the Lee Summit School District that are categorized as chronically hungry like that. Our church feeds 30 of them. That's all. 
there are still more than 300 of those kids who no one has sponsored yet. So when someone says, are, you know, is your church done yet? Are you happy with where you are? I think, you know, there's still 300 kids in our community who don't eat every weekend. Like, these are not kids in Africa. These are kids in our neighborhood that don't eat on the weekend, 52 weekends a year. So I think, no, we, I don't think we're done yet. You know, I look at the number of unchurched people. You know, roughly 80% of the people in Kansas City don't go to church anywhere on a Sunday morning, 8 out of 10. And you say, oh, that, you know, that can't be true. Well, sure, there, there's roughly 80,000 people in Lee Summit. There's 100,000 people in Cass County. There are probably less than 20,000 people in Cass County today in church. I mean, think about that. If you added up all the churches in Cass County, do you think 20,000 people are sitting in church today? If you added up all the churches in Lee Summit, do you think there are fifteen to 18,000 people sitting in church? Probably not. Eight out of ten in our community don't, don't go to church anywhere. So are we done yet? No, I, I think we need to reach more of those people. You know, we sponsor ten girls in India, ten orphan girls who have been rescued, uh, who we pay for every expense that they have in life, from their toothbrushes to their school books to their clothes to their food to their medical care, to everything. Everything they do, our church pays for. Last year, they had an additional 167 more orphan girls given to their orphanages who don't yet have care and provisions. Are we done yet? No, I think think God has called us to do more. Last year, we gave 40 bicycles to pastors in the Sudan who walk more than 50 miles one way to go to a village to minister and disciple people and baptize people. Forty pastors. This year, we're actually buying four motorcycles. It seems like a a lot less of an investment. It's actually more money, but it will allow the pastors who go in a 500-mile radius to do more ministry. But there are hundreds of pastors still on foot. Are we done yet? There's, There's probably still more work to do there. We have two church planters in our city that our church is helping in a significant way to plant their churches right here in Kansas City. Why? Because 8 out of 10 people in our city don't go to church. They don't know Jesus. Are we done yet? You see, the disciples had put in a good three years. The disciples, I mean, if, if you look at, at our core team, our startup team, our disciples had been greeters, and they had been ushers, and they had given their money, and they had invited all their friends, and they had done setup, and they had done teardown. The disciples had put in a good three years, and they wanted to just kind of chill out now. Are we done yet? And Jesus said, you're just beginning to impact the world. You see, it's a mindset and a lifestyle that says not we're never done, but that says the work is never finished and there's more to do for Jesus. You know, I think about the word international, our church. We desire to, have, to, to partner with ministries on every continent in the world. We're not doing anything right now in South America. We're not doing anything right now in Australia. We're hoping to plant a church in Israel this year. We're not doing anything as a church significantly in inner city Kansas City where the poverty dwarfs what's going on in Lee Summit and Cass County. There's more to do as a church. And for us to just be, you know, the the big Venus flytrap, feed me, feed me, feed me, without saying what can we do more to help others isn't a question that when we look at it biblically is, is one that's correct. What can God use us to do? Let me ask you this. If God can use two families, and, and really three, my little sister Marie is here, my brother-in-law Ed is here on the front row. They live just south of Chicago. They were the first family when they heard about the vision for our church that said, we, we think we want to be involved. And let me tell you what they did. They immediately began to give, and they put their house up for sale, and both started applying for jobs in Kansas City. They, they said, we know we're supposed to be a part 
And we're willing to give up everything to come to Kansas City and help if that's what God wants us to do. How long was your house up for sale? Y'all even remember? Six months before they, before they said, okay, this isn't God's will for us yet. But Danielle and I, Marie and Ed, I think about Chris and Amy Zerby who came in really early. They said, you know, we're, we're going to see something happen. Then those three turned into ten families. Then those ten families turned into fifty families. And now we have fifty families that has turned into hundred families. What would happen if all the, all the hundreds of families in our church begin to pull in the same direction to see these needs met that I've just talked about? to see Jesus become more famous in our world, to to see the gospel of God and the good news of Jesus Christ go go forth more in our community. What what more could happen? You know, it's interesting. One of the strongest animals on planet Earth is is a Belgian horse. I don't know whether or not you know that. I just read that this week in a uh, book I was reading, Dave Ramsey's leadership book called Entre Leadership. If you're a leader, a young leader in this congregation, you need to get that book and read it. But Ramsey talked about the power of a team. And he said a Belgian, a Belgian horse, one of the strongest animals on planet Earth, together by itself, by itself can pull 8,000 pounds behind it. You can put 8,000 pounds behind a Belgian horse, and it'll pull it with no problem at all. You put two Belgian horses together, and how much weight do you think you can pull with two Belgian horses if you can pull one with 8,000 with one? Anybody good at math? You think 16, but it's not 16. It's 24. By putting two together who have never been trained, just the strength of two is more than double the strength of one. And if you train them together so that they actually know what they're doing, they can pull 32,000 pounds together. Four of them can pull almost 200,000 pounds together. The thought is every time you add another person pulling in the same direction, you can do exponentially more work. What could our church do if we all pulled in the same direction to see this city impacted for jesus to see more hungry kids fed to see more orphans in india taken care of to see more pastors in the sudan uh, equipped to do more good ministry to see more families in our neighborhoods and communities who don't go to church yet go to church what could happen if we all began to pull together in the same direction to make a difference god reminded me that our church is a mission not a church our church is, is not a building. I have people ask me all the time, when are we going to get a building? I don't know when we're going to get a building. And, and I don't want to say I don't care because I know one day we'll have to get a building. But if we begin to pursue a building instead of what Jesus wants us to do, then we've gotten off track. I don't know when we're going to get a building. But people ask me all the time, well, when, are, when are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? I don't know. Here's, here's what I'm trying to figure out, how we can feed more people, how we can reach more people who don't come to church yet, how we can do more work internationally. Because we are a mission, not a church. Church is part of the mission, but we're a mission, not a church. And God reminded me that in the Bible, according to the final words of Jesus, that Christians are to live sent. I want you to pull out your sermon notes, and I want to give you two or three things today from Jesus' point of view about this. And and I want to be honest with you. Last night I sat up in bed. The last thing I do every Saturday night before I go to bed as I have my laptop on my lap in bed and I just review another two or three times the message getting ready for Sunday morning so that I can pray on it and I can think on it. And last night I was just going over and over and over this message and I shut my laptop and here's the thought I had last night. I, could, I couldn't even get to sleep. Danielle and I actually got in a fight about this last night because she was trying to go to sleep. Danielle needs it perfectly quiet and dark to go to sleep. I need noise. If there's no noise, I can't fall asleep. Is, any, is anybody like that? If it's quiet, then the voices in my head start talking, and, and that, you know, that just drives me crazy. 
And maybe I am crazy. I don't know. But I have to have some noise. So Danielle kept saying, when are you going to throw off TV? When are you going to go to bed? You know, you need to go to sleep. I got to get up and sing tomorrow. So we're like fighting in bed last night. And I'll tell you why we were fighting. Because I got done looking at this message last night. And I closed my laptop. And I thought, this message stinks. I don't like it. I don't want to give it. Um, and, and here's why. I got to the end of this message and I said, God, this message isn't really going to encourage our people. This message really isn't going to move them spiritually. This message is about people outside our church, not inside the church. And God, I don't know if our people are going to like that. And God said, Christian, you are so selfish, man. It's not always about you. It's not always about you. And he gave me that picture sitting in bed last night. I thought about that plant. Feed me, feed me. And God said, it's not, you know, you've had enough. Sometimes it's about others. And, you know, as I sat in bed struggling with this message, God said, is this your message or Jesus' message? I said, this is Jesus. I'm only going to quote the words of Jesus. He said, then you need to get over yourself. You need to get over trying to make everyone feel good every Sunday. And you need to tell them what Jesus said about impacting the world. Because Jesus said that we're to live sent. What did he say? One of his last acts. I want to give you three things. And we'll go pretty quickly through this outline. First, you need to understand when we look at Scripture that Jesus sent his disciples out spiritually to impact people. He sent them away time and time again. He would send them, go, go out. Don't come back until you've impacted somebody. Jesus never built a church building. You all know that, right? Jesus never had a home. According to him, his disciples said, where do you live? And he said, kind of everywhere. He didn't even have a house for himself, much less a house for his church. He trained his disciples to go, not stay. And in John 20, 21, these are some of the final words of Jesus to his disciples. He's already been crucified, buried, resurrected. Some of his last words to his disciples, he said, Again, I say, New Living Translation, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. You need to jot this down on your sermon notes. Forty times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus said, I was sent. I was sent. I was sent. Every time somebody asked him why he was doing the ministry he was doing, he said, I was sent to do this. Forty times Jesus referred to himself as sent. The last time in the Gospels, John 20, 21, he referred to himself as sent. He said, I was sent. Now I am sending you. I was sent. Now you are sent. It was literally like, and some of you who have watched track know this, It was literally like Jesus said, I have run my lap. Now it's your turn. And he handed the disciples the baton and said, now, now you run. I was sent. I've run my race. What did Paul say at the end of his life? Paul said, I have run my race. And he told Timothy, now you go. Peter and second Peter at the end of his life said, I have run my race. Now you go. Everyone in the Bible said, I was sent. Now tag, you are sent. You know, I believe so powerfully that this thought needs to be ingrained in our mind as not a church, but as Christians, as people, that I actually bought 250 of these little guys today. And I'm going to hand you one of these when when we walk out of here today. And I made sure and I didn't put our church name on it. And I am like a branding maniac. You know, I've actually thought about getting a JCI tattoo, but I know it hurt too much because I mean, I, I am like all about signs and putting stuff on signs and doing all that fun stuff. But I purposefully didn't do that because I wanted you to be able to take this to work with you. I wanted you to be able to, if you're a school teacher, just set this on your desk so that every time you see it, you remember, it's my turn. I'm sent. 
I'm supposed to be running my race spiritually. So that if you have a work truck, you can set this in your work truck. And every time you just glance it, just throw it in the bed of your pickup truck. But every time you see it, you'll remember, you know what? I'm running the race today. I am sent. Somebody passed the baton to me, and now it's my job to pass it on to someone else. If you work in a cubicle, that you can hang this in your cubicle. And no one knows what it means but you. It doesn't say anything but the name of the company on it. But it'll remind you every time you see it. I'm running the race now. Jesus sent us out. Jesus was sent. And then when he got done running the race, he handed the baton to us. And now we are sent. Put it in your car so you see it every day before you leave your car. Put this in a place where you see it and you think, it's my turn. It's my turn now to run my race spiritually. We were going to give this to even all the kids in our kids' ministry, but I knew that they would all hit each other with it. Uh, at least my son and Pastor Ryan's son and Pastor David Cole's son um, would hit everyone. So we're only going to give them to the adults. So please don't give them to your children, um, at least until you leave the church, because they, they will hit people with it. That's what kids do with stuff like that. Um, but it was like Jesus said, I ran my lap. Now it's time for you to run your lap. You know, we have become a church that operates much more like Noah than like Jesus. Noah built an ark and knew that everyone needed to be in his ark to be safe. Jesus died on a cross. The ark says, come inside and you'll be safe inside. The cross says, go. The ark says, come. The cross says, go. And we've built churches that are like arks. We want everyone to come inside the church. And in church, they're safe. But Jesus didn't say, come inside the church and be safe. He said, go into the world and make a difference. You know, Paul referred to himself as a bondservant of Jesus, which basically means a paid servant. He said, I am owned by Jesus. Paul said, I do what Jesus tells me to do. James referred to himself as a bondservant of Jesus. I do what Jesus tells me to do. Uh, Christianity 2012 flips it around and said Jesus works for us. And I need Jesus to do what I tell him to do. You see, instead of living sent, we're, we're just staying in church and we've got this Jesus that, that we just want to meet all of our needs. Or, you know, we think, you know, I, I really love Jesus and my faith is personal and You know, me growing spiritually is more important than anything that happens outside my life. Let me ask you this question. When you think about your relationship with Jesus, for those of you who own a business, think about this. If you had an employee that loved you, desperately loved you, always wanted to be with you, would spend 24 hours a day with you, but would never do what you ask them to do, would they be a good employee or not? See, we have some Christians that just love Jesus. I just want to read my Bible all day, and I just want to listen to my worship music all day. And I just, man, I wish I could go to church seven days a week. And, you know, I found three churches to go to, and then I watch four churches on TV, and then I've got all these pastors that I listen to, and I just love Jesus so much. But I never, go, I never will do what Jesus tells me to, but I love him deeply. Do you really love him? Or, or take it another direction. Think if you, as a parent, if you have a child who never intends on leaving your house, ever. Does that, is, is that a thought that makes you think, oh, no. You know, Jesus raises us spiritually so that one day we'll go out and we'll live our Christian life the way that we're supposed to live our Christian life. And some Christians are brand new and they need to learn a lot before they can go. But some of us have been Christians our entire life. And listen to me. We, we have never a day in our life lived, sent, left and thought, today I'm living for Jesus. Christianity is more than about just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's about all of your life, focusing your life on living for Jesus. I'm hoping that starting in this series, and it's going to take three or four weeks for this entire concept to sink in. 
I'm hoping that you'll begin to understand that you are supposed to be living sent every day, all day, living for Jesus. Secondly, not only did Jesus tell his disciples, go and make a difference, Jesus actually prayed that Christians wouldn't separate themselves from the world like we have done so much in the year 2012. He prayed in John chapter 17. He said, God, please don't let them just get together in their little groups and never go out into the world anymore. His exact prayer was this in John 17, 15 through 19. Jesus praying, this is right before he's arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, I'm not asking God for you to take Christians out of the world. But keep them safe from the evil one. They don't belong to this world anymore that I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. But just as you sent me, I am sending them. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. There's an interesting word in the New International Version. I just read that in the New, King, in the, uh, New Living Translation. John 17, 17 is the great verse in Scripture. It says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. The word sanctify means set apart for a holy purpose. But Christians have just taken it to mean set apart. Say, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to now live in the world anymore. You know, I'm a Christian, so I only have Christian friends. And I'm a Christian, so, you know, I I don't go any place that Christians don't go. And I'm a Christian, so now I'm, and it turns into, so I'm better than people who are not Christians. And I'm a Christian, so I don't like people who are not Christians. And I'm a Christian, so I judge everyone who's not a Christian. And I'm a Christian, so uh, I'm going to tell everyone who's not a Christian what they're doing wrong. Jesus said, please, God, don't let Christians become like that. Don't let Christians remove themselves from the world. Or how will the world ever know about me? And that's a lot of what has happened in our world today that the church movement has become kind of a country club movement where we're not only going to build a church, we're going to build a church, we're going to build this, we're going to build this. And seven days a week, you'll be able to live right here at church. It's like, but but what about the world? Jesus specifically prayed that Christians wouldn't live at church seven days a week. Don't let them separate themselves, but let them go out. You know, Christians are supposed to be different from the world according to Jesus' prayer, but they're not supposed to be distant from the world. So if you're in here and you don't know anyone who's not a Christian, you probably need to get out into the world a little more. If you're in here and you don't have a single friend who's not a Christian, you probably need to get out into the world a little more. Because Christians are not supposed to be isolationists who don't go into the world anymore. In Colossians 3, 2, here's what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Colossae. He said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You need to think like Jesus, not like people on earth think. That word set is the the word that we use in the English language for setting a broken bone. It's actually, it's setting something straight which is broken. Paul is basically saying there's a way to think that's broken. When you think, I'm a Christian, now I need to leave the world, that, that thinking is broken. You need to break that thought and you need to reset it. And your thought needs to be like Jesus thought that I am a Christian, so I need to go into the world and have some kind of influence or impact for Jesus. How many of you, like me, have broken a bone? You ever broken a bone? How many of you have seen that bone on the x-ray after it is healed? Anybody like that? For those of you who have broken bones, once a bone has been broken and healed, it actually is a lot stronger than all the other bones in the body. Because that calcium just covers it over and over and over. And what, what Paul is saying to this church in Colossae, he's saying if you could break the thinking that normal people have and begin to think spiritually, eventually that thinking will be so much stronger than your other thinking. And spiritual thinking says 
I'm supposed to live sin. I'm actually supposed to make a difference in my world. Jesus said, don't separate from the world. Go into the world. Be, be, you're going to be different, but not distant. You're not going to cast off everyone in your life who's not a Christian. You're going to be different from them, but not distant from them. Or how will they know that I love them? How will we impact them? So Jesus sent us. Jesus prayed that we would not be sent. But then thirdly, Jesus sent us specifically, according to Scripture, so that others might know God. The 8 out of 10 people in our community, in our city, who don't go to church, probably don't know God like they're supposed to, probably don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, probably don't have their eternity secured or know anything about forgiveness or what Jesus offers them. In John 17, 25 and 26, he said, Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you. You, you need to write that down on your sermon notes because I don't think that verse is on your sermon notes. Write down the words, the world doesn't know you. And then let me ask you, do you even care? The world doesn't know you. So many times as Christians, we read over that and say, yeah, that's, that's sad. That's true, but that's sad. Well, what about your world? What about your family? What about your neighbor? What about your coworkers? Have you ever thought that maybe you're there so that they can know God? Righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I know you. And they, that's us, Christians, know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God, people don't know you. But I have found some select people who do know you. And I'm going to walk with them so that the rest of the world can know you too. You see, it's, 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 it's a different mindset. It's a different lifestyle. It's this thought that, wow, everything in my life is supposed to be centered on helping people know and understand who God is. He said, did, uh, did the disciples go? Man, they went big time. I found out an interesting fact that I, that I had no concept of until about three weeks ago, but that really impacted me spiritually. Uh, in about a month, Pastor David Cole and I will be in India uh, with uh, visiting three of the orphanages that our church supports uh, and trying to figure out what our church can do to really make a difference in India, in the world there. And we're going to a city called Chennai. Now, I don't know if you're an expert on India. I am not. But I actually met with a man who used to live in India, and he said, hey, where are you going? Uh, and I said, Chennai. And he said, oh, that's Madras. And I said, no, it's Chennai. And he said, no, that's Madras. And I said, no, it's, you know, like I read it on a map, Chennai. He said, it's the same place. He said, Madras was the English word when the English ruled over India. And he said, when India began to get back to their Indian roots, he said, they named it Chennai, but everyone in India calls it Madras. And he said, are you going to see anything from St. Thomas while you're there? And I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said, St. Thomas, the doubting apostle. I said, yeah, I know who Thomas is. He said, Thomas, who, you know, when the disciples told Thomas Jesus is alive, we saw him. Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see him myself. I said, yeah, I know who Thomas is. He said, St. Thomas died in Madras. He actually walked all the way to Madras and started a Christian church there and was killed by people for his faith in India and then his body was shipped back somewhere and it was buried and he said you can visit there the hill that he prayed on you can visit the cave that he hid in he said that city is famous for what St. Thomas did there and I thought huh, I, di I didn't know that and I asked Pastor David I said hey did you did you know that Thomas died in this city and took the gospel there and he said no so I got on a map and I looked at it and I thought I wonder how far that is you know that Thomas traveled further than any other disciple other than the Apostle Paul on foot to take the gospel. 
Thomas, who in Acts chapter 1-6 was a part of the group who went to Jesus and said, can we be finished now? Can we stop now? I'm tired. We've done this for three years. Can we just settle down and be a church now? And Jesus said, no, you need to keep going. You know where Thomas went? Thomas traveled to the other side of the world. 3,000 mile flight, but I'm, I'm guessing he didn't fly Delta Airlines from Jerusalem to Chennai. On land, over 6,000 miles walking. Can you imagine walking 6,000 miles to tell someone about Jesus through the Middle East? 6,000 miles. You know what? Most of us have never walked 60 feet from our driveway to our neighbor's front door. Some of us have never walked six feet from our cubicle to the next cubicle. And it's not because we're bad people who don't care. We're just not even thinking about it. We're not living sent. We don't every day of our life think, who can I impact today? How can I live for Jesus today? How can I make a difference today? We just don't even consider it. And it's time as a church that we change our mindset to live sent. Let me ask you a question. Where would you go and what would you do for Jesus if he asked you? Where would you go and what would you do for Jesus if he asked you? Because I don't think Jesus wants everyone in here to go to India. I hope some of you can go. I don't think everyone in here, that, that everyone in here is supposed to go to Kenya, although we are setting up a mission trip in 2013 to go to Kenya. Some of you will go, but I don't think everyone's supposed to go. I don't think everyone in here is supposed to go to Israel. But according to Jesus, everyone in here is supposed to live sent, is supposed to consciously be aware that it's our turn. And you know what some of us have done? We've taken the baton from Jesus who said, it's your turn. And we've said, no, 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 Christian can do that. I just go to his church. Like, I'm not a, I I don't run track. I don't do that. And Jesus says, no, you, you do. You're a Christian. Bang, you're it. Now you go too. You know, I began to do this in our marriage series. I'd never done it before in 12 years of ministry. And it worked really well, so I've started doing this with every message that I've put together. What are some things that you can think about, talk about, begin to pray about and discuss that will help this message sink into your life, into reality? And I just call them kind of walk-away questions. These are the things I want you thinking about as you walk away. And there are three questions that I have for you. And today's message is a pretty big scope. I just need you to understand that you're supposed to live sin. Next week's message is going to be much more practical. Like, how do I do that? I'm going to tell you exactly how to do that and where to do it. And then on Palm Sunday, I'm going to talk to you specifically about how you can reach one person this year, this, this Easter season. But here's some walkaway questions that I want you to have. Um, one, I need you to know what's the scope of the world that you live in. You say, what does that mean? Where do you work? Where do you live? What sports teams do your kids play on? Who do you interact with? What's the scope of your world? Your world is not this, the more than six billion people alive on planet Earth. Your world is not seven continents. Your world is not the entire city of Kansas City. Your world is probably less than 20 to 50 people that you interact with every week of your life. Who are those people? Where are those people? How do you see them? How do you interact with them? By the way, at our small group tonight, for those of you who are in our Sunday night small group, we're going to answer these questions together. What's the scope of the world that I live in? Where do I live my life and where am I supposed to live my faith? Question number two. This is a really good question you should ask yourself. Do people in my world know that I'm a Christian? 
I'm not asking you to go lead your friends and family and neighbors all through a relationship with Jesus. I'm not even asking you to go invite all of them to church. But it's really important that they know you're a Christian. That's like the first step of living sent to understand that you've been stamped as a Christian. Do my neighbors know that I'm a Christian? Do my coworkers know that I'm a Christian? Do my children know that I'm a Christian? Do my parents know that I'm a Christian? Do people know that you're a Christian? And then question number three. Do I honestly ever think about impacting people spiritually in my daily life? Do I ever think about people spiritually? Do I ever pray for people spiritually? Do I ever think about how maybe God could use me to help someone else? Do I ever think about feeding hungry children? Do I ever think about adopting financially an an orphan in India or Africa? Is my mind even trained that Christianity means I do something? Or is my mind trained to think I'm a Christian, so I go to church on Sunday? We have to change our mindset. We have to understand there's more to Christianity than coming to church, sitting in, a, in an extremely hot gym on March 18th in 2012, trying not to sweat up a storm while you're talking to people about passing them a baton. Do we realize there's more to faith than coming to church? What if all of us get, truly understood that and began to do something about it? You know, if, a, if three families can turn into ten because they're focused on starting something that will really impact the world. And then 10 families can turn into 50 because those families are intent on starting something that will really impact the world. And then 50 families can turn into an entire church. What would happen if an entire church said, you know what, we're not just going to come to church on Sunday. We're going to really live to impact the world. Could, could we feed all 556 hungry children in Lee Summit? And then the more in Cass County? And then more in inner city Kansas City, maybe. Could we reach more friends and family and coworkers in our neighborhoods and in our life and our scope of life? Maybe. Could could we the hundred and sixty seven new orphans that were taken in in India that don't have anything right now, could we support all of them? Maybe. I don't know, but maybe. What would happen if we all got real serious about that? I need you to know if you never come back to this church, that it's your turn spiritually. The baton has been passed to you. Whether you come to this church or any church, really doesn't matter. The baton has been passed to you spiritually. And you need to run with it every day of your life. When we actually give you one of these as you walk out the door today, put this in a place where where you'll see it almost every day. And just remind yourself, oh yeah, it's my turn now. It's my turn. Jesus ran. He handed it to his disciples. The disciples ran and they handed it to their disciples. And they ran and they handed it to someone else. And somebody somewhere handed it to me. And boy, I want to make sure I don't drop it. Because if you watch relay races, if you drop the baton, what happens? You're disqualified. We don't want the race to stop with us. Let's run our race and impact our world. Let's, let's have a mindset bigger than going to church. Let's have a mindset of truly living sin. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And God, I just thank you that as a church, you have decided to refocus us, not on church growth. This message is not about bringing more people into this church. But God, on the world, on the words of Jesus, I was sent, now you're sent. On that really interesting prayer of Jesus uh, of Jesus in John chapter 17 where Jesus said, Lord, please don't let Christians 
separate themselves from the world and just become a little cluster unto themselves. That won't work. No one will know who I am if that happens. Lord, help us as a church to realize we are your ambassadors. We've been handed the baton, and it's our turn now to run our race. That doesn't mean we lead all of our friends to faith in Jesus. That doesn't mean we invite all of our friends to church at Journey Church International. That just means I am a Christian. I know that. The world around me needs to know that. And I need to try to make as big an impact in this lifetime as I can as a Christian in my world. God, help us to begin to live with the attitude that we are yours and we're on mission. Christianity is more than just about going to church. And God, help us as a church to really impact this community, to impact places in the world who aren't going to have any impact if no one cares. And help us, Lord, to have an impact on those 80% of the people in our community that this morning aren't in any church because they don't know you and they don't know enough to care about you. They don't understand you. And unless they find someone who lives for you, who loves you, who they know is a Christian and they watch them and respect them, Lord, they may never come into a church to hear about you. Lord, let our church be different. Let our people be different. And Lord, let us run our race. Thank you for passing the baton to your disciples. And thank you that Paul passed it to Timothy and Peter passed it on to John Mark and others passed it to others. And here we are today. Lord, help us to run our race well and live sent. Help us to realize coming to church is not what it's all about. It's about living for you every day of our lives. And Lord, by doing that, let the people of our church truly impact our community in a way that, uh, Lord, maybe someday somebody could write the acts of Journey Church International and they'd be able to write all kinds of stories of what people did for Jesus because we did more than just come to church. Help us to live and do for you. Now, God, I pray for men and women in this church who are hurting today. Pray for men and women in this church who just need encouragement today. Pray for men and women in this church that are facing struggles today, that your hand would be on them, that you'd touch them, that you'd heal them where they're hurting. And, God, I pray that you would raise up in this congregation a community of men and women who live their life for you. They go all in for you. We love you. Jesus, we need you. Thank you for the encouragement of your word today. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. I'm going to ask you to...